to all the exhausted village. I'm, that's what I'm gonna call your fans, Kyle. The exhausted village. Shout out to the exhausted educator. <laughs> this is a Holding On To Learning LLC production. Woo! The ideas expressed on this show are not the views of their employer. Besides, if you really want to take advice from this guy, well, you should probably do it at your own risk. You're gonna love the exhausted educator <laughs> What is going on, Education Heroes? Thank you for dropping in to the Exhausted Educator Show. In this episode, we're going to talk about supporting those students with challenging behaviors by taking a classroom management approach. In other words, looking at how you can support the individual student by looking at what you can do to support all the students in your classroom and set up your classroom in a way that will actually maximize and benefit all the students, but specifically the students who may have challenging behaviors in your classroom. That's coming up with our amazing guest in just a minute. But I want to let you know, this episode is coming out to you because of the feedback that I got from some of our listeners. So as we've talked about many times in the past, this particular podcast is all about trying to help you recharge your educational battery. And with that in mind, we have had quite a few different episodes that have talked about in a variety of different ways helping students with challenging behaviors. And this topic keeps coming back as far as feedback. Can we get more? Can we get more? Can we get more? And I hear you. And I know it is one of the things that is leading to enormous amounts of burnout with all of our teachers out there. So this episode is going to address that in a different kind of way. And Matt Sakura, who is an amazing uh, BCBA, which is a board-certified behavior analyst, is going to dive into all kinds of information that are going to help you in your classroom. I also want to throw this out before we introduce Matt and tell you, bring me your feedback, people. You can tell me about things you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. You can say, I like this about that. I really like that. That's what we do to try to figure out where we're headed in upcoming episodes. So to pull the curtain back a little bit, just so you know, I go out hunting for people in many cases to try to find just the right person for a specific topic. Now, sometimes those people will contact me and I'll be like, hmm, actually, this person is, that is something I want to talk about. So we'll use that person on an upcoming episode. But a lot of the times, especially the bigger names, I go hunting for them, and our guest today, he's a bigger name. So if you have uh, some ideas on what you want to hear about, whatever episodes in your head that you think would be beneficial to help you recharge your educational battery, shoot me an email, check us out on, you know, shoot me a message on, on social media, however you want to get a hold of me, and remember, you can always check out everything we do at rechargedfamily.com. All right. Let me tell you about our amazing guest. Matt Sicoria is a huge podcaster. Not big, huge. And probably most of you, or all of you, have not heard of him before. And I'll be honest with you, until I started to do some research on 
podcast dealing with behavior support. That's the only that that's how I ended up finding him. And then I did a little bit deeper dive and found out how big this guy is. He's been podcasting for almost seven years now, and his downloads are into the millions. And if you've never podcasted before, which many of you have not, or if you don't have any special background in podcasting, which I wouldn't expect that you do, let's just say that's a lot. <laughs> let's just say if you're hitting those kinds of numbers, you're a pretty stinking big deal. And Matt Sicoria is a pretty stinking big deal. And you do not have to be a behavior analyst to enjoy his podcast. And he's going to dive into a little bit of his podcast and tell you a little bit of back about some maybe some episodes you'll want to check out uh, that relate directly to educators um, that he has and he's done in the past. He's going to dive into a specific topic about how you can improve student, individual student behavior by looking at what you can do from the whole classroom management point of view. It really is, we'd say, first level or tier one level stuff. But to be honest with you, it's where it all starts. Because the greater management you have of a classroom, the more likely you are to set up that individual student who may be struggling with behaviors to set them up with success. It's really an approach that I think so many more people need to need to focus on. We spend a lot of time on looking at individual behaviors and what are the triggers for the student? What's the function of the behavior? What are the things that are causing behaviors? But we don't spend as much time thinking about, you know, how we can improve the whole classroom environment. And yes, it's to benefit all, but also to benefit that individual student with behavior needs. It's pretty cool stuff. This is a lengthy one, and I think you're going to enjoy it, though, because he's a very, he's a very uh, easy-to-listen-to, calm individual. So just sit back and enjoy Matt Sicoria. I really think you're going to enjoy and take away some really good stuff from what he has to share with you. Ladies and gentlemen, you wanted to have someone to talk about behavior. That was the feedback that I was getting. So we brought in an elite level behavior analysis analyst. Uh, who's going to dive in to some basics and just some general thoughts on supporting students, especially students in our inclusive classrooms. Um, so I am super happy to have Matt Scoria on with us today. Thank you for jumping on with me, Matt. Oh, the pleasure's mine, Kyle. Thanks so much. So, you know, a lot of the times we have people, just educators, join our show. Um, I have had a BCBA in the past. I had a BCBA on last year, someone I knew locally who helped us out because there's just behaviors keep popping up as an area that teachers feel like they need more and more and more, and rightly so. We see a lot of challenging behaviors in the classroom. So I'm really happy to have you on. You kind of have a different, uh, a different role as far as someone who might normally be on, the cl- in, on our podcast. So could you just dive into a little bit about you know, where you've been and, and what, your, what your role is now? Yeah, sure. So I have been a behavior analyst for about 25 years, and which makes me an old timer in the community. <laughs> Most behavior analysts are are, are young, uh, older, and more male uh, right now. The demographics of the field is something like 85% female, and all of kind of uh, millennial or, or Gen Z. Uh, so I'm a bit of a you know some of us who've been around for a long 
time of you know we kind of feel like dinosaurs in the field but <laughs> anyway all that to say i've been at this for a little little bit uh, i live in uh i live in new hampshire and i kind of split my time doing two different things one is I, i've been uh, consulting to schools and agencies but mainly public school settings uh, in private practice for the last 15 years and what i do is i work with uh, i work with both uh, kids with uh, special needs particularly kids you know kids with I, iep teams and i'll uh, also do some you know kind of general uh in a consultation all around supporting individuals with uh, various types of behavior challenges and specialized learning needs so if you want to consider many of the alphabet soup uh, iep identifications I, i'm usually involved with lots of those cases so you know whether it's autism or adhd or you know the uh the ohi you know the, the nebulous ohi other health impaired um and you know and all the other type of alphabet soup uh you know diagnoses and educational disabilities i, I work a lot with those those individuals more so with their staff because what i try to do is work with the team to figure out uh, what's going on and help them create conditions under which the student can be more successful gotcha. so unlike say a psychotherapist who works directly with an individual, my role is to work with the adults and try to rearrange how people interact with the child so that the child can learn new skills and be more successful. It's, and we can get into a little bit of how that works in a bit, of course. Um, so I split my time doing that. <laughs> Again, kind of like on a whim about seven years ago, I started this podcast called The Behavioral Observations. And it has taken off beyond my wildest dreams, to be perfectly honest with you, Kyle. I never kind of. You're crushing it, man. You're, oh, you're th crushing it. Downloads in the millions. You are crushing yeah, it. Way yeah, to go. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I uh, you know, it's kind of like a surfer catching a wave at the right time. You know, <laughs> at that, that point in time, uh, podcasts were not very. You know, I, when I, well, I'll put it to you this way. When I had to reach out to people to, it's an interview based show. So I reach out to people quite a bit to ask them to come on the show. And particularly when I was reaching out to older guests, I would have to say, well, I, I'd like to interview for a podcast. It's kind of like an internet radio show, you know? So I had to, you know, that's how long I feel like I've been in, you know, I've been doing this. I've had to, you know, I've been doing this long enough where I had to explain what a podcast was <laughs> in the context of talking to other people about it. So um, all that to say, I, yeah, I've been doing the show for seven years now. Uh, it's become part, you know, integral to, you know, what I do. It's been, it's opened so many doors for me. I've gotten to learn so much from the over 200 interviews that I've done, uh, and made lots of great friends and connections and things like that. So it's, it's, I, I tell people all the time, I'm the luckiest guy in, in behavior analysis because I, get to do this cool thing so uh, it's been it's been fun so that's kind of my back background in a nutshell yeah yeah and and i i mean this like you have to be if you're not the the top you got to be up there as one of the top uh podcasters in that specific niche so uh, congratulations it's just fantastic you, you really produce very good content um and and to be honest with you for anybody out there you don't have to be behavior and analyst to enjoy his podcast either. So um, I, I know someone myself is special background. I've really enjoyed many of his, epi many of his episodes that he's pushed out. So be, be sure to check it out is what I'm saying. 
So oh, I appreciate that, Kyle, because I sometimes wonder about that, you know, because we talk a lot about dissemination in, in the world of behavior analysis. And I sometimes wonder if I'm disseminating beyond behavior analysis or just kind of talking amongst the field. So I'm glad that you found it accessible. I hope other people who check it out find it also helpful, too. Yeah, I think I think they I think others probably do. I know I do. Yeah, I, I know I do. I, like I said, I, I think it's uh, you put you put out really good content and it's very helpful and behave. You, there's just not enough of you all, to be honest with you. There is not enough people who are working, uh, specifically, I'm thinking, you know, uh, BCBAs, but any, in, in general, behavior support. And, and I know, you know, in our school district, from a staffing standpoint, it's, it's a challenge to get uh, all the, the, the behavior analysts that we can get uh, in. It's just a challenge. You all don't grow on, tre- on trees, apparently. We, we've, been, <laughs> we've been looking, but we haven't found that tree yet, so... Yeah, uh, you you do very valuable work, and and again, I think your insight today will be really good for for our listeners. And as I did have, you know, a few people reach out to me, and this was something that they they definitely wanted more of. Like, could we get another episode or two about how to work with kids with challenging behaviors? Because it's popped up, and I was saying before we officially started recording, you know, something about the pandemic. I'm sure there's you know five thousand reasons why. Uh, but behaviors just blew up when we started to transition back to school again. And I've, at least from our end, from what I've seen in our school district and from what I've seen from other people outside or heard from other people outside our district, we are uh, creeping back that direction again as far as more and more kids need more and more behavior support. And that's where I want to go. But I want to talk really just kind of at a, um, a general level. If there is... You know, if there's staff members, whether it be a teacher or a paraprofessional who maybe they don't have an extended experience in working with kids with challenging behaviors, you know, what would be some some basic things or some advice that you would you would offer up to them? So the big picture, I, I think if people leave this show with anything, I'd like them to think about problem behavior as a as being the outcome of an individual's learning history um, as a product of their circumstances, if you will. Um, there are a number of ways that this, I guess, manifests itself, but the, the general, so there's two competing ways to look at someone's behavior generally. You can look at it in terms of, you know, someone's quote unquote character, uh, which is kind of stable. It's not it's not modifiable in any way, or you can look at it, someone's behavior as a result of their their learning history, or again, more you know, kind of simply stated, their their the circumstances that kind of brought them to where they are right now in the classroom. And uh, I and I think the science is pretty clear on this, but I, I I but but I also prefer to look at problem behavior in terms of the circumstances uh, for a couple different reasons, but like in it beyond what I just said, but you know, one of the, one of the, I guess, more practical reasons is that it helps me and I, I people I shared this advice with, I, I think will tend to agree. It helps me take things less personally. So if a kid tells me to go, you know, F myself or whatever, you know, I, 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 I might get mad in the moment, but you know, if I regroup and think about it, you know, I'll, I'll consider like, well, that, that verbal repertoire has a has a learning history behind it that has served a a, a purpose, um, you know. And, and I, I, I guess one other thing I'd like folks to take away is that when you know is to try to 
try to look at things in that way. In other words, if someone's doing something that's upsetting or annoying or disruptive or whatever, just as a game, you know, try to develop a number of plausible hypotheses as to why that individual's acting that way. Uh, that's related to their uh, their upbringing, their learning history, the the, the moment they're they're in right now. That might be a little bit more productive than saying, you know, calling them a, a uh, you know, referring to them in a way that, uh, you know, giving them a label that 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 is is uh, immutable, if you will. So I, I think that's the big picture uh, and moving down just slightly one level, if you will. Yeah. You know, so going from broad principles and uh, another kind of, I guess, sub principle would be to understand that problem behavior just like any other behavior occurs because it's 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 useful to that individual it's not useful in the long run obviously but in that moment it's useful to that individual so what are some examples of that you know the easiest example i think to conjure for any teacher is the quintessential class clown you know what is the class clown looking for they're looking for their you know they're looking to get their peers to laugh they're looking uh, depending on their relationship with the teacher, they're either looking to amuse the teacher or uh, push the teacher's buttons. Um, and all those social reactions uh, are are rewarding in nature for the class clown. Okay, so that individual is that 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 you know making jokes or making noises or whatever. That repertoire is reinforced by the the reactions that that behavior generates. Um, so again, that's that's a lot. Thinking about things in that way, it's it's a it's a lot less personal than just calling the kid a brat or you know, other worse names, I suppose. Right. Um, there are other rewards, potential rewards for problem behavior as well. You know, one of the things you know you brought up the pandemic. We have these kids with these huge gaps in their learning, uh, and they come back into school, and oh boy, this stuff is hard because you know my schooling the last couple of years has been heavily disrupted. Uh, particularly for impoverished communities as well. It's even more so. Uh, there's lots of data out that shows that individuals, you know, it, it's, you know, pretty well tracks with socioeconomic conditions that, you know, the, 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 the more challenged one is in that area, the less contact they had with virtual schooling. So these kids are coming back to school and uh, work is harder for them. So when you act out and you get sent out of class, or when you act out and your teacher is interacting with you over your acting out versus, you know, doing the work, well, you're not doing the work essentially. And these things kind of interact with one another. So consider the student who gets sent out of class and goes to the principal's office. So it's not just that that person's getting out of doing the work. They're not just escaping. Being in the principal's office or being, being in the office waiting for the principal outside their office for a lot of kids is awesome. It's highly entertaining. It's like <laughs> it's like people watching at the airport. There's a lot of action. Yeah. And it's way <laughs> it's way more fun than being in class doing stuff that you don't know how to do. And then periodically people will come by you and say, oh, Kyle, what'd you do today? Oh, you know, things like that. So you're getting escape. You know, you're getting. Uh, you're, you're getting access to a high preference environment and then you're getting people, random caring adults talking to you, uh, even if it's in a way that is, you know, talking about, even if it's the, the conversation is about your problem behavior. So um, these these things are, are, are pretty complicated. But 
the general principle to observe here is that problem behaviors don't exist because a kid has ADHD or a kid has autism or whatever. Problem behaviors exist because the 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 outcome of that behavior contacts rewards or contacts reinforcement, as we might say in um, uh, behavior analytic terms. Sure. Um, so those those are those are the two things. You know, people people have a um, take a circumstantial point of view and then consider the what's rewarding that problem behavior. And I guess one other quick thing I would say with regard to the second point is that individuals don't have to be aware or conscious that these reward systems are operating much in the same way that when you drove to work today, you weren't consciously thinking, oh, now is the time I'm going to apply the brake. Now is the time I'm going to check my mirrors. Now is the time I'm going to turn on my turn signal. Um, <laughs> But all those behaviors are, are are shaped by reinforcement and uh, and an avoiding punishment in terms of a car crash. So behavioral principles are always operating on us at all times in very complex ways, and they're not necessarily always at the forefront of our consciousness. There might be some kids who are quote unquote doing it on purpose, but a lot of times these things exist when we're not even thinking about it. Gotcha. Oh, that's all good insight. To be honest with you, so when. From my end, a lot of times when I, when I work with staff members, whether it be paras or, or teachers, when it, we talk about behavior support, really the starting point a lot of times is just trying to figure out the individual child, the individual student, the individual teen, and diving into just trying to understand them as, you know, is there uh, a function of mm -hmm. their behavior and so forth. Did, could you just kind of dive into that a little bit as far as you know, understanding student and, and the behavior that might come along with it? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the question you want to ask yourself is, you know, how, how, how is the student, for lack of a better term, profiting from this challenging behavior? You know, so I just laid out a, a few different common scenarios, you know, so it's usually things like, you know, getting, getting reactions from people, um, getting out of doing stuff you don't want to do, getting out of class you don't like, getting away from peers you don't like, uh, uh, going you know, accessing things you do like. Uh, and, and again, like I mentioned previously with the example of the kid getting kicked out to the uh, principal's office, these things are, um, are, are, are multifaceted oftentimes. It's not just getting attention. It's not just escaping things. Usually there's a lot, there are layers to these sorts of things. Right. So start thinking about the ways in which your student is is potentially getting inadvertently rewarded for this behavioral repertoire. Uh, so I, th I think that would be the first thing. And one of the ways you do that is, you know, just start paying attention to you know what's going on before, what's going on after the problem behavior. Maybe uh, you know make some notes about when the behavior is more likely to occur. And even more importantly, you know, when does the behavior not occur? You know, so that gives you some insight into what, you know, what, what are the, what's the recipe for things going well, you know? So, the, I mean, there, there are, there are entire graduate level seminars that <laughs> dedicated to the functional assessment of problem mm -hmm. behavior, but that's, that's just kind of a general, if I were to, you know, kind of advise someone how to start thinking in this direction is again, consider that, you know, problem behaviors are the result of learning history and then start thinking about the ways in which problem behavior is getting reinforced with that kiddo. Uh, and that might include some, some observations 
or some reflection about when these problem behaviors do and don't occur, uh, that can give you some insight. Yeah. And I like, I really like your comment about, and I don't, I don't, this may seem obvious, but I think it's a good one. A lot of times we talk about, you know, understanding when behaviors are occurring, you know, where there, are there triggers that are you know, lighting up the kid, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe we don't spend enough time thinking about when they're not occurring, like what's happening in those moments when we're getting positive behavior from the students. That's a real, that's a really good point, Matt, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that resonated with you. You know, it's like, it gives you insight in terms of what, what sort of rewards might be effective for that individual. So you know, if they're if they don't have any conflict at recess and they're playing, you know, with their peers cooperatively, okay, then you can file that away. Oh, that's a potential reward, you know, that maybe we can provide depending on meeting a certain behavioral goal or something like that. You know, so those those are those are some things to start thinking about. Okay. Good. All good information. And I will be honest. I have thrown you a very broad net. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you work with behaviors, you know, like, if anybody says, well, what do I do about behaviors? Well, that's yeah, pretty I get these broad, questions all the time. Right? I'm, like, that's this, pretty this is, broad. This is, this is what we call Tuesday <laughs> in my world. <laughs> and so I appreciate you just trying to, t- trying to, to, to fish through those, uh, that yeah. broad net. You know. Love it. Yeah, happy yeah. to do it. All right. Um, so... As we talk about, like you know, understanding the behaviors, understanding the student, the individual, uh, maybe even the cause of the behavior, then we start to move towards what we can do as educators, as a para, as a teacher uh, in the classroom. You want to just throw out some ideas on how we maybe you know devise a plan. We start to focus on some interventions or some some things that we can put together idea wise to try to help the student. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm gonna actually tackle it from the from the from the perspective of the classroom teacher, okay, and 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 talk about. Well, I guess the first thing I would say is that it's really important to nail the general classroom management first. Uh, if you're trying, and there's been many many times where I've been you know called in to consult on a case, and I'm sitting down, I'm watching what's going on. And the classroom management uh, is not on point. It's a it's a telltale sign. In fact, one of the one of the ways I know a teacher has great classroom management in a school, if it's a school I've consulted to a, a bunch of times, if I never get called to that person's room, because <laughs> that te- that that master classroom manager is automatically going to drastically reduce the likelihood of problem behaviors yep. in that person's classroom. Yeah, you're speaking my it's, language. You, you, it's, it's essential. Yes, it's, it's essential. like level one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a tier one intervention. Yeah, the, yeah. It's or depending on how you're, you're, you know, if you're running a an RTI or PBIS right. or MTSS model. Yep. It's super uh, important. Yeah, right. It's so it's so important. And the teachers with poor classroom management. Um, have multiple kids with challenging behaviors in their classroom. Yep. You know, so uh, that is something to look at first. I always try to just, if I'm doing an observation, I try to get a, the lay of the land, you know, so I want to see what's going on in general. So uh, one of the things that, you know, the two, two big areas are, uh, well, let me back up a second. So another kind of mindset shift that some 
some teachers get naturally and some teachers we have to spend time doing some training around. Um, and, and again, I am going to apply the circumstantial point of view to the people I work with as well as the students, the, the staff I work with as well as the students. You know this, uh, I'm sure, but teachers do not get good training on this stuff. Hmm. So it's, you know, if you have a great classroom manager, they're either a natural or they've stumbled into someone who, who they had a great mentor who had to do this and knew how to do this. Right. And, and this stuff gets handed down kind of very erratically like folklore and whatnot. Uh, and, and most people don't get this type of training. So when I say someone's, you know, when I'm, when I'm just using shorthand and saying, oh, the so-and-so is a poor classroom manager, or they struggle with classroom management. I'm not, this, it's not a personal comment. Uh, and you can attribute that directly to their learning history, or in this case, the lack thereof. So I just want yep. to say that I'm not. It's a great comment, though. Great comment. Yeah. It, it's 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 not something that's easy to learn on the fly. And and what you, what you end up finding is, you know, as far as classroom management is concerned, that if I'm just jumping in and trying to figure it out, and a month in and I'm struggling with it, it's tough to reel it all back in. So it's a good comment. Oh, man. oh, that's a that's a great point, Kyle. You know, there's lots of times where I'm like in a classroom and the teacher is having the class line up again, or they're, they're, you know, they're reprimanding the class for X, Y, and Z because they don't have this particular routine down or something like that. And I'm like, it's almost Thanksgiving. Like, <laughs> this, this is like week two, you know, stuff. You know? Right. So, and you're still, you're still, you're still doing this. And so what that's, you know, so that leads me to, I guess my first recommendation in this area is, is to actively teach practice and reinforce those 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 routines um especially those routines that aren't going particularly well so if uh, and sometimes you might need a, co a colleague to uh, observe for you and point out some of those things a lot of times i'll talk to a teacher and like oh my gosh you're so right i just realized that and then they you know and they're they're doing you know they 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 feel silly you know and i'm like i'm just a guy with a visitor sticker on my shirt you know <laughs> and i have the luxury of time to be able to sit and watch and right. you're trying to keep all these sp plates spinning so one of the things i really try to do when i'm consulting with teachers is is really tr to try not to put them on the defense they're not on trial you know so i really want to go out of my way to make them feel comfortable and, and not you know try to approach this as best as I can from a non-judgmental angle. There's right. some judgment involved. It's clinical judgment. It's scientific judgment, um, but it's not personal judgment. Right. So anyway, so one of the things I oftentimes reckon, recommend that people do is actually spend class time saying, hey guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice lining up or, you know, we're going to practice putting our, uh, our backpacks in the cubbies. You know, this would vary, but depending on what, grade you're working right. with but right. let's just take elementary school for example uh and so what you'd want to do is give the verbal description of what you want them to do all right this is what i would like you to do i want you to pick up your backpack and i want you to walk over to the cubbies i want you to hang it on the hook and go back to your seat um and then you model it it sounds silly but then you pick it's a true, backpack though. up and say i'm watch me i'm gonna go do it yep. all right um, and then you have them practice that 
and then you give feedback uh whether they you know so if someone's having you know so as your class is doing that you could say oh you know uh you and you and you you guys are doing great okay you guys you're almost there but you know you kind of bumped into each other so here i want to see you do it again okay you guys can get this you got it you know and so you make it positive and then you provide lots of reinforcement for doing it and make that process of putting away their backpacks, something that the kids really look forward to because there's a, there's a history of excitement and reward associated with it. Right. Um, and you know, a lot of teachers, when they, when I suggest this to them, they're like, I am under so much pressure to cover the curriculum. Hmm. That's, that's just, you know, I can't even imagine taking time to do that. And what I usually say is that, look, you know, you're, you're expending so much energy trying to corral your group and I'm just picking on transitions. It could be anything. Yep. yep. So, and so, you know, it, it, if you get this thing nailed down, think of how much extra time you'll save in the long run. It's kind of like investing now. It's like compounding interest. Yep. Uh, and usually by the time I've had that conversation, I'll also ask the principal if it's okay. You know, so I'll yeah. say, oh, I've talked to Mrs. So-and-so. She says it's cool if you practice this. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and to be honest, we, it, that's something that I learned. I didn't know early on in my teaching career. For all the years that I was in the classroom, uh, what I realized, because I taught the elementary level, was that early, <laughs> as soon as the year's starting, the more time I put into those kinds of things, setting down the routines making sure that everybody knew what it, what we were doing, pumping them up like crazy with praise, all of it. Usually what would end up happening is if we spent more time on it then, then we'll have more time for everything else throughout the year, right? So yeah, what you're saying is that makes absolute sense, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so another classroom management strategy I recommend all the time is a strategy called the good behavior game. It's got kind of a silly name. It's obvious what it's about. Uh, but the idea is you you divide your class into two groups. It can be more than that, but two is a good place to start. And you you run the good behavior game during instructional time. So again, th this is something that has a, a, a research base that is unbelievable, uh, meaning that there's been dozens and dozens of studies on the good behavior game for the last five decades, the first good behavior game study was published in like 1967 or 68. It's been replicated a gazillion times across all, you know, K through 12. I think actually there was, I think there's a good behavior game iterate study that was done at the college level. Um, it's been done in rural communities. It's been done. Uh, it's been, it's been uh, studied on, um, on reservations. It's been studied in, you know, uh, inner cities. So it, 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 it's, this is kind of like a universal good for what ails you type of thing <laughs> with a broad research base behind it. This isn't like something that, you know, someone, you know, kind of came up with on a whim. Um, so the general idea is that, you know, during a, a, a lesson, you, you play for short periods of time. So again, just using the elementary context here for people to have an example to hang on to is that if you've got the class at the carpet, and you're playing the good behavior game, what you do is you have the teams, you have the groups sit by team, you know, by team. So there's some obvious demarcation between them. And you pick the team so that, you know, you counterbalance your your disruptive kids. You know, you don't want all the disruptive kids on one team. <laughs> uh, and, and then the idea is like, hey guys, we're gonna play this game uh, while we're uh while I'm I'm uh, doing this act, we're we're all doing this this lesson here. And 
the general idea is that if you talk out or you blurt out or you make noise or whatever, you'll score your team a point. And at the end of the lesson, the team with the fewest number of points wins. Um, and you can create the, what, what they win will vary based on what their interests are and things like that. But I, I like free stuff uh, like everyone else. <laughs> and I would suggest things like, you know, getting to line up first or, you know, getting to pick a song, you know, to sing or pick a video to watch or something along those lines, you know, pretty, pretty free and available stuff in most elementary classrooms. So if someone has a, someone has a, uh, like a school wide or a, or a class wide kind of marble system or something like that, you can, you can, you know, kind of tie that stuff into it pretty easily as well. Um, and, and, also what happens so that fosters some kind of mild peer pressure uh and um uh and i have people kind of react kind of negatively to this sometimes They're like well that's that's kind of punitive matt you're calling the kid out for their problem behavior and um there's actually been studies that have looked at kids reactions to the good behavior game and it turns out when you ask the kids about the good behavior game they love playing it <laughs> and so it's got a lot of social validity to it um there's been there was one study in particular I, I i if i recall it correctly they looked at the kids facial expressions they tried to capture the their qualitative experiences even when they were uh not winning and stuff like that uh and and generally speaking the you know the, the students generally have a good time with it and it, and it's and it's when given the choice to play and not play they usually make the choice to play <laughs> um and generally speaking the one of the things you could do to to have kind of like a win-win type of scenario is to have like a, a a limit that they can't if they both stay under they both can win so for example if you're doing a math lesson at the carpet you're sitting in the chair you've got the easel right here you have a little t-chart you know someone blurts out team a one point team b one point blah blah blah, blah. hey guys you know we both stayed under five points amazing all right <laughs> let's all you know partake in this reinforcing event whatever that happens to be <laughs> So good behavior game, lots and lots of social validity. Uh, the one thing I would suggest people do is uh, be committed to tinker with the variables a little bit. So sometimes, um, you know, you might have to try different rewards. Sometimes you might have to try different teams and things like that. Uh, so sometimes I'll have people try it like once and they'll, you know, I think anyone in any type of specialized services encounters a staff. Well, I tried it and it didn't work. You know, it's like, yeah, we get, you got to kind of tinker with it a little bit, but it's, it can be a lot of fun. So good behavior game. Um, I did a whole podcast on that. I can, I can send you in the show notes if people want to go really deep on that. Um, I have a couple other ideas. You want me to keep going? Yeah, man, you're rolling. Uh, go ahead. All right. All right. I, I warned you. I could, I it's could all go good. Bit, but, it's all good, all right. man. You're giving the people what they need. Go ahead. All right. So um, another kind of classroom management uh, strategy that's tied in with instruction um, is to, is to really look at developing high rates of what are called OTRs. And OTR stands for opportunities to respond. One of the things that, you know, it's kind of like the saying, you know, I, idle, idle hands, devil's tools type of thing. I, I, right. I, always, I always mess up that, that, that <laughs> saying. Sounds good to me. There's, there's a couple different versions of it. And I always like kind of mix <laughs> them up, I think. But anyway, you get the idea. Downtime is, 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 is just you know, not what you want. Uh, uh, downtime, the amount of downtime is inversely correlated with student behavior, <laughs> classroom behavior. So 
one of the way and, and so one of the things you want to do is kind of really reflect on okay how how many times do my kids get to respond in an academic context am i doing a lot of talking and they're and they're doing a lot of sitting and not <laughs> doing and um and if, if the answer is yes they're going to fill that time with with problem behavior one of the ways around that is, and even even if you're asking questions to the students the traditional way that you know we're all taught to to do this sort of thing is to say hey everyone you know what's the um what's the capital of delaware and then you know susie raises her hand yes susie what's the capital of delaware uh it is dover right okay you got it <laughs> okay. uh, dover okay cool dover thanks good job now let's say there's 18 other kids in that class well those kids you, you're 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 just banking on them paying attention for them to really learn whether you know what the capital of delaware is right another way to do that would be um you know would be to say hey everyone uh what's the capital of uh delaware dover everyone say and the whole class goes dover hmm. right yeah all right let's try it again uh you know and so engaging the class and 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 whole group or what's called choral responding is a game changer and 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 not just from a classroom management standpoint kids will actually make academic progress because they have they're at, they're more actively engaged they're make they're they're engaging in overt learning behaviors uh, as opposed to sitting passively listening to someone else if you're lucky listening to someone else answer the question right yeah, right because they could be doing something else. Yep. Um, so they could be, you know, so um, there are various ways to use that type of choral responding response or strategy. It doesn't have to be vocal. Uh, you could have you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. All right, everyone, um, you know, you could do like true, false. Okay, thumbs up if true, thumbs down if false. Everyone, one, two, three, go, you know. Um, and then you can assess the whole class at the same time, essentially, you know, uh, response cards or, uh, whiteboards are the same, same thing. Right. You know, uh, I want everyone to, you know, add, uh, 43 plus 17. All right. Ready, set, go. All right. When I say, uh, you know, boards up, you're all going to put your boards in the air. You know, it's active student responding and, 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 and paced responding, not recklessly paced, but you know, you want to keep the, the the flow moving. You don't want downtime. Right. More and more opportunities to respond equals fewer problem behaviors and more learning. Essentially, that is so. That is a hundred percent true. You know, active learning. Active learning will uh, give you a much better chance to keep your students engaged, keep your students uh, on task, and minimize those problem behaviors. You're right about that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another that's another strategy with just decades and decades and decades. I mean, this stuff was figured out in like the '60s and '70s. It's not. It's not. It's been around forever. Um, one last thing I'll, I, I, I always try to look at, especially if the, if, you know, if we're started getting into fourth, fifth, sixth graders, uh, it, it is to not forget the role of skill deficits in relation to problem behavior. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? All right. The kids acting out in math, Sometimes I'll just ask the teacher, you know, I, I said, well, you know, does he know his times tables? No. No, he uses a calculator, though. We got it covered. He's got a calculator. He's got a chart. <laughs> like it's like, 
we got this. Don't worry about it. I'm like, no, that's a big, that's actually a big problem. Um, and, 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 and this is where I get, you know, kind of old man yelling at clouds type of, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, repertoire going. But the idea that if you think about it, you know, if you think about long division and all the steps that have to go into long division, if you don't have your basic math facts fluent, not just known. And, and, and so I'm going to introduce the concept of fluency uh, as well. So it's one thing if you say, you know, four times five, 20. But it's another thing if, you, if I say, hey, what's four times five? And you're like, and then you start counting on your fingers or whatever. And right. then you say 20 after like a, like a, you know, five to eight second pause to think right. about it. That's not fluent. It's accurate, but it's not fluent. Right. We, we sometimes, we, we love accuracy. Accuracy is awesome. It's great when you can get it. Um, but we also need accuracy and speed, right? So the, 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 and this manifests itself in terms of problem behavior. You know, uh, if if you're not, if you don't know your your basic math skills, math is going to become increasingly aversive. It's going to be something that 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 avoiding will be highly rewarded, right? Yep. Um, so how do we how do we make that change? Well, you know, it's one thing, and it, and, and this is a situation where just like, oh, I'm going to give Johnny rewards for for completing math well okay that might be helpful on a certain uh, level but that doesn't really help him do math better so i actually sometimes write uh, i'll write right into my behavior management plans johnny will practice uh math fact fluency once a day hmm. you know same thing goes for 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 letter sounds uh cvc words and things like that yep. you know if you have a you have a sixth grader who's struggling with learning See if they know their letter sounds at a, at a decent clip. Yeah. Chances are, if you go back through the scope and sequence of reading, something way early on in the chain is is disfluent. And if you can go back and fix that, it's like, you know, giving someone who's sight impaired glasses. So <laughs> don't, my, my general point here, Kyle, is just not to sleep on the skill deficits. Mm -hmm. And there is a case to be made because I make this case you know, every day when I go to work to, to actually prescribing skill instruction in obviously in service of learning, of course, but, but right. you know, right. selfishly in service of improving problem behavior. Yeah. Uh, writing is another huge one. Mm, absolutely. Uh, how, how many, how many, how many sixth or seventh graders do you know, blow up at writing? Mm. You know, yep. um, and if you look at their, their actual uh, production of, of, of uh you know written work how you know oh, how quickly can they copy letters how quickly can they trace how quickly can they write a list of, of dictated numbers you know if 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 the actual act of writing is effortful for them um that's that's going to make writing really 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 challenging for them yep so go back and look at those basic skills chances are again in the context of you know post pandemic education, they didn't nail that stuff early on. Yep. So yep, you're right. Those, those are so. I guess to sum up, you know, nail your classroom management. Um, high rates of student responding with core responding and um, looking at skill deficits in the context from the lens of of behavior management. Uh, that all all great points. All great points, Matt. And actually, the last one was uh, part of my school career growing up. Like, you know, I, I was, I struggled in reading. And so mm -hmm. if you wanted me to read in front of people, 
I was more likely to create, uh, I, I won't say chaos, but fire off some jokes and try to do some things <laughs> to, yeah. to, to, to take the smoke away from the fact that I don't read out loud well, right? And then as I went to high school, I struggled with French. I remember like conjugating verbs and things like that, uh, that I just, I'll be honest with you, I didn't try hard. And mm-hmm. I didn't do well, didn't, didn't resonate with me. And when the teacher knew that I was struggling with something, she'd bring me up in front of the class, you know, give me, we, did, we didn't have dry erase boards, it was chalk. You give me sure. chalk and say, you, did, you know, lay this out for the whole class to see. So my, my thought process was usually like, hmm, you're going to put me under the spotlight. Well, let's see what I can come up with here uh, to see if I can, you know, take, take some of that, <laughs> take some of that limelight away. And it would usually sure. be jokes or something like that. So I fully, I fully understand exactly what you're talking about. And, and when you have a skill deficit, you do, you're not comfortable with it. You know, you have a skill deficit and you would like to try to do something to take that, take that spotlight off of you. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and you know, if, uh, you know, when when reading writing and and math is hard um school kind of kind of stinks yeah <laughs> you you're, you're right yeah and everything upstream of that becomes a struggle so yep you know, you're you're 100% yeah. right it's 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 a challenge and and you don't want to it makes you uncomfortable you don't want to put yourself into situations where you feel uncomfortable you know sure so i just want to finish up real quick you know are there anything that you could offer up as far as like resources places that that um any educators could go to 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 find things that might help them as far as you know working with behaviors whether it be you know full classroom management kinds of things or working with individual sure. behaviors anything in general yeah, you know, there's a website I discovered years ago called interventioncentral.com. Uh, and it's got all these strategies in there. So that, you know, if you want to look up good behavior game, choral responding or whole group responding, things like that, uh, it's 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 really solid. Uh, I don't know who created it, but whoever they were, uh, this website, it's been around for decades it seems as long you know 15 years easily when i first stumbled across it like i actually link to it all the time when i'm writing consult notes because they just offer these nice summaries of of very short but and very accessible summaries of these these very uh you know highly research-based generally speaking easily uh, applied behavior management interventions so interventioncentral.com is is definitely a go-to perfect Perfect. Um, yeah, I, I I've done a few podcasts on some of these things as well, and I can I won't bother you with the specific show episodes. I can just email you those so people can go to your show notes. Yeah, and uh, and and you can link them there. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I've done done some shows on like particularly the Good Behavior Game, and uh, uh, I think that that's probably the one I've, I've done the the biggest deep dive on in terms of all the things that we've discussed thus okay. far. Great. Thank you. And one last thing, Matt, uh, if anybody wants to connect with you, uh, what, where do you want them to go? Sure. Uh, you can go to behavioralobservations.com. That's kind of like the central clearinghouse for all my stuff. And uh, you can listen to episodes and all, all that. There, there's a contact page there. So if you want to say, hey, uh, you can do that there. Um, uh, you can also reach out to me on social media. I am on um, uh, uh, Facebook, uh, 
facebook.com forward slash behavioral observations. Same thing with Instagram. I'm at behavioral observations. Uh, so those are two areas that people can, you know, see what I'm up to. Um, I also have a, an email list that I send all the show notes out to as well. So if you're at the website, hop on the email list. I don't send more than three or four emails a month. So if you're interested in this kind of behavior stuff, uh, you might, you might find that interesting. And I do talk about, sometimes we talk about classroom management stuff like, and sometimes we talk about parenting. Sometimes we talk about, I've done shows on addiction and other sorts of things. So we, we try to cover a wide variety of, of, of topics within the realm of behavior science. So, uh, um, so there might be something there beyond what we're talking about right now that might be of interest to folks. Awesome. Um, I don't, I, it's not up and running yet, but I, I, there's a couple other colleagues that I, that are I've partnered up with, and we're going to be at, actually offering professional development for school-based behavioral personnel, whether it be school psychologists, behavior specialists, awesome. could, could be BCBAs working in schools. Uh, and all that content is going to be at thebehavioraltoolbox.com. Great. Um, the site is under construction right now, but we'll be doing both you know, coaching as well as uh, we're offering some some kind of asynchronous virtual classes for awesome. folks to take for continuing ed. Awesome. So I, I'm working with two really really crackerjack colleagues. We're uh, and it's been a lot of fun putting this material together. So. I, I'm I'm looking forward to sharing it with everyone. That's but, great. I wrote I wrote that down myself because yeah, that may be something we turn to as a district as well. Because we all right, could, all right, we, we'll definitely let you know when it when it's live. But, all right. Yeah. Long story short, behavioralobservations.com. Sign up for the email list, um, and uh, you know, uh, hit the contact form, say hello, or you know, message me or on uh, Instagram or something like that. Yeah, awesome. Those, those I'm I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for, for uh, dropping some knowledge on us today and I uh, really appreciate your time. And, and one more time, congratulations on all your success. You're doing amazing things, putting out amazing content. It is resonating with a ton of people and that, that, that shines through by the, the, you know, your years of podcasting along with your, your downloads and just congratulations on your success. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That guy's pretty awesome, huh? He's got some pretty great ideas on how you can help your whole class, but also help the individual student in your class. Again, we're going to have all the stuff he talked about down in the show notes. Check it out. Link up with him. Matt's a good guy. He's, he's had a lot of experiences, and he spends a lot of time in classrooms helping out teachers, helping out educators, helping out schools from a behavioral standpoint. He's got a lot of experiences to share. Before we drop off here and send you on your merry way, let me share, you the, share this important fact with you. I touched on it right at the end of the interview with, with Matt. Have an idea, an understanding when a student, well, maybe when they're struggling in an academic area. Again, this is something that I speak from, from personal experience. I could definitely turn up my uh, ability to be a bit of a class clown if I was uncomfortable. As a student, I was uncomfortable many times because I was not a great reader. I really struggled with reading comprehension. I struggled when if I had to read aloud because I know when, I, when I'd read aloud, I was a little bit nervous. So I didn't, I've always been a slower reader and I still am, but I would definitely 
like this, <laughs> try to find ways to push the spotlight away from the fact that I was struggling. And I did that in a lot of different ways. And I did struggle in school. And I really struggled when I got to high school. And I did make it through fine, you know, but as far as fine is concerned, that your definition of fine may not be the same as mine, but I did make it through. And it, but it wasn't really until college until I started to figure out the specific things that I was good at and how I could actually study and how I could become a better student. And I did great in college, but I did not do well when it came to high school. And I was really not good in middle school. So I share that with you because from personal experience, I know if I'm struggling academically, that it makes me uncomfortable. And if I'm uncomfortable, I might be more likely to show some behaviors. So just be aware of it. Be sensitive to it. There are some things that teachers can do to help kids through that process. For me personally, the teachers that I was absolutely, I gave my best for were the ones that connected with me, the ones that made me feel comfortable, the ones that knew me, the ones that knew the things I did well, and the ones that knew that there were some things that I was struggling in. So kind of keep that in mind. I just wanted to throw that out at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, I know it's I know it's hard out there. Thank you, by the way, those of you who, who threw me some feedback and said you wanted some more, more uh, uh, episodes on behavior. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. I, it is. It drives me forward. If I hear from listeners, it drives me forward. I'm happy to hunt for more guests in whatever areas, as far as education related, um, whatever areas you're interested in. So keep that feedback coming. You can always hook up with me on email. You can get me on social media at Recharge Family, and you can see all the things that we're doing, rechargefamily.com. Thank you so much for battling through those challenging behaviors. They might not tell you, but those students really appreciate it. As always, take care of yourself so you can take care of them. Have a great one. We'll see you again soon. Party time. It's like, sirens are going off in my head. We're going to try to just not be horrible. Watching you, exhausting entertainers. Always watching. Last Christmas. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode. We would like to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of his music in our intro, outro, and also the music used in our interviews. You can find his information in the show notes below.